Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Damian Lupo, coming to me from Arizona. Damian, welcome to Rising Tide. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So tell our audience a little bit about Damian Lupo. Uh, well, shoot. I mean, we can start back when I was in Alaska, judging polar bears in the Arctic Circle. <laughs> I grew up there, and, and at my last job that I actually had up there was, was making sure I didn't get eaten by a polar bear when I was washing <laughs> dishes and taking out the trash. So kind of a strange way to exit your homeland um, on the way out, having polar bears in the rearview mirror. But it's kind of what it was. Uh, but beyond that, I, you know, that my, my entire life has been about disrupting things and doing things differently. So when I was 11, I hired my parents to, to drive me around buying and selling Nintendo games back with classic Nintendo because they told me we didn't have any money and I didn't I didn't like that so <laughs> I started a business back when I was 11 so I could have a little bit of scratch to to play with and and uh, ultimately that's sort of I think that was the beginning of of me doing things differently like when I started a bookstore in college and they threw me out of school because I was putting the bookstore on campus I out of school that. or out, yeah. out of business yeah so got a knock on the door of your dorm room <laughs> yeah, they, they pretty much called me in and said, shut it down or we're kicking you out. And I said, uh, I'll be back to you in two days. And <laughs> two days later, I was finished. I paid for school that week and uh, and I left and I realized I was not supposed to be there. Like mm. it was just you know, you, when you realize what, what you're really good at and what really matters and you, you fight against it. Life is pretty miserable, even yeah. if everybody else is telling you that's great. You know, good job. You did good, good grades and you got a good job and you got a good house and you hate your life. So <laughs> I think, I think we need to acknowledge what's true. It's the, we were talking um, before the interview about reinvented life, about the book I wrote in right. 2012 and with my best friend. And, um, the big question there that you get out of that book is asking the tr about the truth. And the mm -hmm. question is what is true? And I think that that's the single most important question that we can answer, especially as we're transitioning whether we're doing a business or whether we're changing our life, reinventing it, if you will, it's simply acknowledging the truth. And most people aren't willing to to go into the truth because it scares the living daylights yeah. out of them. Yeah. Well, I I uh, I'm going to circle back a little bit with the book. As as I showed you before, I have this book sitting right here on my little standing desk, and and uh, spent quite a bit of time in it. And I've got some things that I want to touch on, but but uh, tell us a little bit. I mean. I had an interview yesterday, and, and I asked the question about entrepreneurship: is it is it nature or nurture? So is it is it are you born with that trait, or is it is that a learned trait? I, I'm interested to hear your take on that, or is it a combination? Well, I think there's a, well, I, I think there's a, maybe another end called necessity sometimes. <laughs> mother I, of know, invention. Just, yeah, the mother of invention. I mean, it's I never said that before, never even thought about it. But I, I certainly I think that if you're in certain environments, there is a nature. Uh, of your genetics, perhaps, but I also see a lot of parents where they're entrepreneurs and they are pushing, and their kids end up being employees with yeah. safe, secure, yeah. six-figure jobs. And I, so it's the perfect environment to learn stuff. And 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 then you know other people like me. My dad was military. My mom mm -hmm. worked in a school, and I came out and I said, I'm going to start 43 businesses. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that, but that's what's happened. So, <laughs> your you know, inner voice was saying that. <laughs> yeah, it was just like this is what you got to do. And every time I tried to get a job, it didn't work. They'd fire me. I got fired as a volunteer when I was working on a political campaign eight wow. years ago. Last time I actually had a job, they said we're going to let you find your success somewhere else. And I said, "You're firing me? I'm a volunteer. I'm a full time volunteer. You can't afford to fire me." They fired me anyway because I was trying to win. And that's what the – you know you're an entrepreneur if you're hell-bent on winning and you're just yep. – you've got that fire and that hunger and you're not willing to go into a system and just kind of go through the motions. 
I mean, that's a very different headspace. I don't know if it's something we're born with or if it's something we see. I think something can trigger it probably in almost anybody. And a lot of times that is necessity. It's where something becomes so compelling that you can't not do it. Right, right. I I, I think that that maybe there are certain traits that we're born with, maybe the you know aversion to risk or a willingness to take risk or – um, I mean, the, the perfect example you mentioned with the with the child of entrepreneurs that that wants to have this, you know, kind of the safe six figure job or whatever, that there may be a reason even in the nurture part of that that said, you know, I saw my parents on this roller coaster, you know, there was feast or famine roller coaster, and I don't want to go through that again, or something to that effect, you know, or my dad worked 80 hours a week, you know, on his on his own business, and it was never home type thing. But I, I love the idea of, of this you know, just born out of necessity, you know, because really that's some of the things just go out the window, you know, when, when you are at, at the, at the, the area of, of the, the deepest need, deepest, darkest, you know, point you're at. And uh, let's, speaking of that, I mean, what a great segue. I mean, talk about some of the kind of the ups and downs and the roller coasters of, of the ride you've been on, because I think that would be very interesting. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, I, I had an interview a few weeks ago with a guy that I said, your life kind of reminds me of the life of Walter Mitty, you know, the movie. And I'm thinking the same thing here. You know, you've got so many experiences, you know, wrapped into one. So touch on some of those kind of highs and lows and how you how you transition through them. Well, it, what's interesting is I think a, the, the current generation, a lot of the folks that are, say, 20 to 30 right now are afraid of the roller coaster. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of, of bashing or whatever on the millennials. And I think a lot of it's because they're afraid a lot of them in large part have been so helicopter bombed into a place of avoiding any type of confrontation or risk or being told that they're a winner with their trophy, even though Mm, they didn't keep score, like all that BS. What what are you teaching these kids? And so they're afraid of actually going out there because they have no concept of what it's like to compete, to lose, to lose with humility. Uh, I remember when Matt Leinart lost the the national championship Mm. against Vince Young. I think it was like 2006 and he comes to the the press conference and he says yeah we're still a better team like there was just he had no humility and i'm like you lost dude you lost what are you thinking yeah but he he was probably i mean who knows what he was he was raised like the, the reality is once you go through the roller coaster of winning and losing you start realizing that unless you got chased by a polar bear like you're not going to be eaten by anything right. and you start to realize okay i can lose money or I can make mistakes. And that's actually how I get smarter. I get faster. I get better. And you start embracing them. And the whole key to to life is being able to trust yourself to adapt. People are afraid of making a mistake because they don't have the experience of understanding their own ability and, and trusting their own ability to adapt. That is the key to building the confidence that sets you free. If you don't know how to adapt, if you haven't done it, you don't believe that you won't die. You'll never be free. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care how many businesses, how many jobs. It doesn't matter. That's that's the roller coaster value, if you will. It's it's the growth and it's the deep seated belief that you build in your muscle that you'll never get if you just stare at a book or avoid those experiences. Mm. You you have to go through them. There's a there's a uh, a little sound bite that I've heard on other some other podcasts talking about the the comedian Jim Carrey. He's talking about his dad, and he says, you know, my dad could have been a, com- a great comedian, but he chose instead to take the safe path and be an accountant for a company, worked for them for 20 years, and lost his job. And I think that kind of the moral of that little soundbite is like, 
you know, you can, you can fail at taking the safe routes. So why not go ahead and just go for broke? You know, and I love that kind of that whole philosophy that says it's not a, it's not foolish. It's, it's more of a calculated risk. So, it, yeah. yeah. And, and there's this whole idea of failure is, is huge because I think a lot of times if, you know, if we're listening right now and we're thinking about failure, we don't want to be a failure because we, we think failure is this noun. And instead of embracing the idea of failing as a, as a gift from the universe, from God, is it, it's a wrapped up way to expand and grow. The only failure that you're ever going to be is if you wake up one day and you say, this is my last day, holy cow, and you're living in regret. Yeah. To me, that's you becoming a failure. And that's that's personal to me because I watched my dad do it right before he died. Mm -hmm. He looked at me and he, and he said, you know, there were so many things that I wanted to do. And that's brutal when yeah. somebody's on their dying, you know, in their dying days and they say something like that because that's not just them making a mistake. That's them realizing, wow. I failed at this game of life by not participating all that I could. Mm. That's it's sad, and that yeah. there, there's this idea that things are hard, and and then discipline is tough, and sticking with one thing because now everything we're chasing everything. We're a bunch sure. of drunk squirrels chasing a bunch of shiny <laughs> nuts, you know. <laughs> Decide if it's if we're going to have a life of discipline, if we're going to stay narrowly focused, and we're going to drill in, and we're going to choose, or oh, wake up with regret. Mm. I assure you, regret is ten times more painful 10 times harder it's the worst possible thing ever yeah yeah i i i uh, i really appreciate you sharing that that personal story because i mean i i don't want to drill down too deep in that but i is that is that really a personal motivator for you i mean is that something that resonates in your in your mind and has kind of played played a part in this kind of reinvented life there's there's no doubt when you when you have a trigger event this is one of the things that I talk about in reinvented life mm -hmm. the, the there are moments that we get different moments of of encouragement or defeat or learning if you will from our life and we can run with those and learn from them or they're going to come up in different ways and eventually if we don't learn them I think we wake up with that that moment like my dad did that for me was a nudge saying hey you know what you're not playing full out you're you're, mm -hmm. you're you're almost playing not to lose, like an accountant. And, I, and I, I love my accountant, actually. I think, actually, my whole accounting team, they're great. But I think a lot of people do things like going into accounting or going into things that are safe because they're afraid of the pain. And I was doing a bit of that, too. It's not that hard. I mean, people are going to, maybe some people are going to listen and go, what? It is hard. It's not that hard to go make 100000 bucks a year doing a job. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're in, the, in America, for example, it's embarrassing if you're not making a hundred thousand bucks because you chose to spend your time not improving. And, and the, the problem with stopping there, if you've got more potential is dying with potential is hell on earth because yeah. you're literally about to meet the person you could have been. That's the problem. Mm. So I saw that when, when I had that conversation with dad and it made me think there's a bigger role for me. And the role is to free people financially from the, from the financial shackles of their life because we've put shackles on ourselves. We, we didn't, nobody's done anything to us. It doesn't matter whether you love Trump, hate Trump, love Obama, hate Obama. It doesn't make any difference with whether you think we're in a recession or going to be in a recession. It's, it's a choice. Right. And blaming anybody else is a lack of self-responsibility. That is you on you. That is nobody else mm. doing anything to you unless you choose to be a victim. And that's what we've got. A bunch of sissy Mary victims running around pointing fingers at everybody. And, Hey, you know what? You want a better life? You better point the fingers back at you and do something about it. Yeah, I I love the way you frame that, and 
And I, I want to kind of touch on that again later in the interview, but tell me right now, like, go back to, say, 2007, 2008. You were, you know, driving Ferraris and living, living life pretty high and fast and kind of fast and furious was, you know, was a movie about your life. And so what happened when the, when the kind of the whole real estate recession hit and how did that, how did that really change your trajectory? When that happened, for, for, for those that haven't heard the story, I, I had built up a $20 million portfolio and I was driving my Ferrari, the same one I saw in Bad Boys 2 that Will Smith drove because I thought if you buy Will Smith's car from a, from a movie, then you become Will Smith. So in my mind, that was the next thing. You know, you have millions of dollars in the bank and you have all this stuff and you go, cool, now I want to be the A-lister. And this is just all ego. So now, wait a minute, 2000- the actual car or the, or the same model? Well, the exact. I mean, it wasn't. I didn't go to the movie set and grab the car. No, right, I went okay, and shot yeah, the car. yeah. It was. Yeah. It was the Ferrari. I, I would have been auctioned yeah. that off or something. There you go. Sorry. You know. You know what? I, I don't think so. Actually, funny story. I got that car. I was all excited, and and it broke a week after, three days after I got it. Light went on. It was a ten thousand dollar oil change and and fix because they had never changed fluids in a five year old car. So wow. you know, you learn things. You learn. Yeah. Wow, an oil change isn't necessarily thirty bucks. It might be ten thousand. <laughs> different experience and I mean that was you know it's part of the journey realizing things are different than what you expect and you have to be able to adapt so when that happened the biggest shift for me was was realizing that when I lost the 20 million portfolio and my net worth went from 5 million to negative 5 million literally in 12 months every project I was doing went negative I went from thinking I was going to make a million or two on each of like five or six projects to losing over seven figures on every single one of them, foreclosures, like everything went bad. So I, th- I said, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm a failure. It means I'm worthless because my net worth and my self-worth were totally mm-hmm. tied together. I had to rewire and rethink, yeah. but first I just pretended it didn't happen. And I think a lot of times that's what we do because we don't want to ag- admit I was wrong. I'm a big dummy. Like mm-hmm. the universe needed to crush me because I wasn't listening. And at that point, I did some deep work with help. And here's a huge thing. A lot of us go through crap and we think, oh, you know what? I don't want anybody to know. I don't want them to find, you know, if they find out that I'm stupid, that I, I made a mistake, then they're not going to like me. And so we tend to stay isolated. I've had a lot of people come up to me after Reinvented Life and they'll say, wow, I, I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I figured somebody maybe had done gone through some of this stuff, but I didn't realize, wow, you went through the same thing I did. So you you find connection and relationship when you actually are willing to be open. And I went out and I started asking for help. And that was the big transition, the big reinvention, asking for help from people, my friends, a therapist, like all sorts of stuff to figure me out so I could not do the same thing. Because if we don't get Mm. to the truth, we're going to keep repeating. It's like a damn merry-go-round of our life. And so after that that transition happened, I mean – so I, there was a, there was a segment in your book that I, I read, and I, maybe it's, it might have been the same time that you said, but I still have that Black American Express card. Was that was that part of the I'm still fooling myself, or was that was that a, am I mixing two stories, or is that kind of, that, sort of the same tra- time period? So one of the things that I noticed about myself, observing myself, and this is part of the work I did with the therapist for a couple of years, was being able to observe myself and think about my thinking, mm-hmm. and and I I look at that. And there was a moment, it was after the, the melt where I was, where things were falling apart. It was right before American Express canceled my card. And I was sitting with a friend of mine 
and having dinner and I pulled out my American Express black and he'd known me since the very beginning when I had nothing and I was starting fresh in real estate. And I said, I still got my car and he, he said, Adam boy. And I said, yeah, I'm still worth something. And then I was in Costco within a month order buying this giant bin, like the pallet as the, you know, everything's on a pallet. I got a pallet of toilet paper and I, I checked out and it was like, you know, it was like, I don't know, 40 bucks and it was declined. And I said, how can a pallet of toilet paper be declined? I have an American Express black. You can buy a jet. I mean, I, I, I'll show you. I will buy a jet right now, and you guys are going to feel stupid. They said, well, you're not buying toilet paper. And I said, well, that's that's a bummer. So when I called American Express, they said, you know what? You, you've hit your limit. I said, it's a black card. There's no limit. They said, you you have a limit. I said, what's the limit? They said, 16000 I said, what's my balance? They said, 16000 I said, you're shutting me off. And they said, yes, sir. And I said, what? So this was, again, the universe saying, you're out of control. You literally need to chill and learn because you're not learning anything. You're just becoming hedonistic. Mm, wow. So after after that that kind of transition, so you moved to, I mean, you're at the bottom of the barrel in essence. So what happened then? What was the, what was the kind of the path back out and what has that led you to today? So the path back out was getting fired as a volunteer, and it, and here's what happens: if we're not fixed inside, we keep doing things externally, and we can blame people. Like I pretended I didn't get fired, but the reality was I wasn't a very good volunteer or employee because I was trying to break everything. So I went through the process of of finally acknowledging the truth, and the truth was I was focused on a whole lot more more, and it wasn't. There wasn't a deep-seated why except for the more. It was just more cash, more stuff, mm. more, you know, more women, more booze, more whatever. And and so the transition was saying, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Who am I? And when I answered those things, and then after dad died, I realized I'm here to to break that 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 those shackles on people that and I mean, there's literally millions of people that have put wow. themselves in financial jail. Like they and we choose this and then we go, dang, I'm stuck. No, you're not. You're, you're staying stuck. You mm. literally can take one step, but people go, well, if I, if, if I'm going to do this, I gotta, I gotta do it Tim Ferriss's way. I'm going to get myself out in four hours and I'm done. <laughs> and I say, stop reading Tim Ferriss's book. I, I like Tim Ferriss, yeah. but you know, there's, there's this other four letter word called work and <laughs> people don't want to do it. And so I just started working really, really hard. And it doesn't mean I was out there digging. I mean, if, if the hardest workers were the richest people, then the people in the fields digging dirt yeah, would be multi-millionaires. Sure. That, that's not true. But you know what? There is a way for you to hustle and not just Grant Cardone, like, let's get everybody's money and put it in my pocket. But I'm talking about figuring out your purpose, not necessarily your passion, because passion just means you're running enthusiastically, maybe in the wrong direction. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. That's good. It's, it, it's gotta, really about- I got to write that down. <laughs> Well, there there is a purpose. Stephen Pressfield talks about this in in the War of Art in his new book. There there is a there is a purpose that we're here. My purpose is to empower people to be financially free and not financially stuck. That and sometimes I'm not very passionate about it. Sometimes I am, but I know it's my purpose. I know I'm here for that impact. And it's and what's fascinating is that, that when you're on purpose, the financial benefit is a side effect. What we were taught is go get this job or go do this thing or sell a widget on Amazon mm -hmm. and make money and everything's good. And that's not true because what are you doing? You're trading your life for some for something that doesn't really matter. Yeah. So the question I have, I ask people all the time is what really ma what matters for you? Why are you here? And and I hear people all over the place because they don't know. 
They never asked the question. They've never been willing to say, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go for it. I might be wrong. But committing to something is where providence happens. And people hesitate to commit because of the FOMO, because of all those shiny nuts out there, because yeah. we've become human squirrels. I mean, truly, we're afraid of making a mistake and choosing wrong. So we choose everything, which means we choose nothing. So unpack the, the whole idea thing. I mean, I, I love the idea, you know, that that we're driven by kind of the fear of missing out. But unpack this this uh, passion and purpose thing. So even if I find my purpose and it's something I hate doing, how do I how do how do you kind of, you know, find that equilibrium, you know, in or or, or would you say when your theory is when you find what your purpose is, you won't hate doing that? I mean, so what is kind of the unpack that a little bit? Yes, yeah, it's a great question. I used to live by the philosophy that that Aristotle was right, and I would, you know, I mean, I'm not smarter than Aristotle by any stretch of the imagination. But one of the things he said was the purpose of life is happiness. I totally disagree. Mm-hmm. I used to think that, so it's why I ordered all the wine and all the king crab and all this other nonsense, making me feel happy. You know, mm-hmm. it was triggering a bunch of chemistry and, and hormones in my system. Yeah. You go out on a whole bunch of dates and a whole bunch of pretty girls look at you and they like you and whatever, and that. That's what you're driving your life towards. There's a lot of passion there. But all that is is a bunch of success moments. Mm. And what we're missing is the fulfillment. Because if you're talking about – you look out there. I mean would you say that that Winston Churchill would have been better off if he did something that he was passionate about and, and had a good time with? Or was it important for him to be purposeful about why he sure. was on planet Earth? That was a hard freaking life. Yep. And and it mattered. And, and the question is, Brendan Burchard says this, you know, we're here to live, love, and matter. And and so what is it that we are doing and who are we that matters? It's a fulfillment piece because even if you're struggling and you will struggle if you're in, if you're on purpose, you struggle through this process because it's there's nothing perfect about it. And oftentimes you're going into the darkness. Pressfield talks about going out on your hero's journey. You go out into the darkness and you figure it out and you trip over yourself. You bleed. You get scars. It's it's cold. Like there is a process, and then you go from being an amateur, which is you tripping all over the place, to becoming a pro. That's mm-hmm. his current book. He talks about. So I'm a big fan, and that's the difference. When you become a professional, you fall in love with the process of improving and and doing it. When you're an amateur, you're thinking about game time all the time. When you're a pro, you're always in that mode. You're mm-hmm. just you're literally yeah. focused on on. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan probably practiced more than everybody else combined on his team. I mean, he was always honing hours and hours before games. We have to be willing to fall in love with the process, not just the outcome. People are obsessed with the outcome. When I get this, then this will happen. If this, then I'll be happy. Like that is the wrong approach because even if you have the moment, even if you hit it, it's gone. Yep. And then what is that? That's your whole life. That one moment. That's what people do when they say, I remember back high school, our football team, state champions, 1992. And I, I go – Still got the letter jacket wow. on. <laughs> they still have the letter jacket on. Or, or the girl that was the prom queen, she's like, oh, man, I peaked. I peaked at 17. Yeah. And I say, golly, stop with this. This yeah. is the success life. What is it that is your purpose here that's the rest of your life? It's a process of mastery, Kevin. It's, it's about the entire process where you fall in love with it and you lose yourself in it. Mm. That's – that's the idea. That's the key. Fall in love with it, lose yourself, and everything else will just unfold in front of you. But you got to be willing to take that risk. And I think it's worth it. So 
you've had to walk through that journey, that uh, you know, hero with a thousand faces journey to to find where you are, and and now that you've arrived. So tomorrow morning when you get up, or maybe Monday morning, whatever. What will you be doing? What is what is your your life purpose, and how is it manifested in in a business that you happen to to run today, or have, have been the founder of? So I, I wake up every single day thinking about how I'm going to ask questions of people and figure out how to help them answer those questions. So I have a belief when I work with clients or when I work with people that are potentially here and there, very rarely, but occasionally I'll work with people and mentor them. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's very rare, there's two reasons. One, it's very expensive. So most people are not willing to commit, even though it's going to be very inexpensive because everything's going to change. The other reason is I am brutal with my my drill. I mean, I do a root canal that makes most people cry because the questions are so they're so honest. I mean, yeah. we dig into the truth. And and so I do that whether I'm talking with somebody that I'm helping with their idea of retirement and getting honest about that or whether I'm just helping somebody figure out what the next thing in their life is, them going into a place of 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 truth where they're on purpose and they're not just chasing another 5 or 10,000. Like you're not going to be happy if you just have $10,000 a month as passive income. I hear people say that all the time or they're real estate yeah. investing. Once I have 20 houses, I'm good. Or once my business does this, I the, I wake up going, I get to ask questions and I'm going to help people find the truth because it's sitting inside their dang brain. Mm. I don't know what their truth is, but I know I get to ask some questions today and those questions are going to set people free. It's going to piss them off in the process most likely, but that's okay because it jars them loose out of their stuckiness right? and maybe suckiness in their life depending on you know what day it is. But that's what we're doing. We're shaking people free. Now, is this is this more in a the life coach sector, in a business coach sector, in a financial coach sector, or kind of a combination of all the three? So here's what happens. Everybody that I speak with almost every single time thinks that money is the answer. So we start with talking about the money. And and then if we if somebody hangs in long enough, we drill into what's really driving them and we realize, okay, the person that showed up to me a year ago that said, I may I've got five million bucks. I'm 42 years old. I make about $800,000 a year and I need to make more money. That's the solution. And I said, really? <laughs> All right. Let's figure that one out because you're lying to yourself. <laughs> yeah. And he said, what? So he thought he was going to talk about some investing and things. And what we did is we we got him clear on what was really true about his life. So it's sort of this weird thing. We think money is the solution. We think it's the problem. The reality is it's below that. We have to drill down and – most people aren't willing to ask the very, very hard questions. World-class coaches, therapists, mentors are the ones that ask the most intense questions, the most powerful questions, because they also know that you have the answers. And so this, this hap- there's a process of both working with people's money and a lot of their money thinking and getting them clear because once they have the, the money philosophy down and their psychology down – the actual physical money, the bank accounts, the assets, takes care of itself. It really does. But you, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many houses you have. It doesn't matter how much your business is producing. If your psychology is wrecked, you're toast. Yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah. What a what a great. I mean, I I love the way that you you answered the. I asked the wrong question and you answered the right one. And so, I mean, what, what a way to, to frame that in, in such a way that, that, you know, you, you really kind of went to kind of what DEFCON one on me there. You went to the, the, the deep level of the question and I was asking it at a surface level. And so um, that, that kind of leads me to, to a note that I, I wrote down here to, 
to touch on that was in your book that um, and, and let me just read this really short paragraph and I want you to comment on it because this this really grabbed me I have like stars and big circle around it or whatever but it said the biggest problem this is in the in the chapter talking about simplicity near the end of the book so it says the biggest problem with the complexity of having more stuff as opposed to the grace and peace of living in simplicity is that it requires our world to be structured in such a way that consumerism must continually expand and grow or the economy shrinks and recession happens. Thus, encouragement of consumption happens at every turn all around us. That could not be more true. And it's it's not it's it's even the idea it's it's like your personal economy shrinks and you personally are finding yourself in recession, not the environment around you. But touch on that just a little bit because that is such a great. Um, I mean, just the, that little paragraph has so much meat in it, and it it kind of it trails on what you just touched on. It, it's it's fascinating because you, when you when you write things and then you keep going and you're and then they pop up years later like I don't think I've read that for the last eight years six <laughs> years since I wrote, we wrote it but still and true it's still true it's actually more true and it's more true because I have a deeper understanding of what we're talking about mm. like sometimes things things come out of our mouths and we go huh okay and then we hear it later we're like whoa what, what was that <laughs> so you know you, so let's just think about this right now we've been in a booming bull market. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, we're recording this and it's 2018. Been in a bull market for like the last eight or nine years since the Great Recession. And most people are still in a private recession mm. in their brains, in their lives, because there's more and more out there and they're chasing ever more and they're never satisfied. Because And it gets so complex. I have, I have a friend who's a doctor. He and his wife are both doctors. There's a, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of income and you know, five or six cars is not enough. It's got to be another car. And I, I look at that. And there's this sense of unhappiness because there's there's a missing piece of actual simplicity and the joy of the simple, and it's a, it means a million different things. I, being in a hot springs in Japan for me a year ago with my best friend, just chilling out, just talking, my, my, probably the, my favorite thing I've done in the last ten years. Worth a million. And it it was worth everything. Yeah. Because it was about relationship. Mm -hmm. It was about the releasing of tension. There was not a complex. There was no forcing. It was it was it was an honest relationship, just talking. So, what is it that we're we're trying to get or get to? And if if we're willing to sit still for a minute, we may be there. And then all of a sudden, you go, oh, what am I chasing? Um, oh, I'm comparing. Why? Because I'm 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 nervous about being found out. I'm I'm feeling like people are judging me. And maybe I need more, and that way I'll be worth something because my self-worth is tied into what I have, yeah. and it's never going to be enough. I mean right now, I'm seeing people in Bentley SUVs, and I go, what are you doing? Like you want an SUV, but now you need to spend three or 400000 on an SUV because it's never enough. Why? Yeah. Because they're insecure. Mm. I mean seriously, I, I doubt that it is making them five or ten times happier than a Lexus SUV. And people – it's a never-ending thing, so – it's good, good time to question, why am I doing these different things? Why am I consuming more to make myself feel better? Is it making me feel better? Mm -hmm. would, would less, maybe more will make you happy. Maybe it's the right choice. I don't think that's the case most of the time. I think simplicity is the answer. Try it. See what happens. Yeah. I bet you you're going to have a different experience. I, I mean, I love the way that you kind of wrap this up and, and just the idea of, of uh, you know, so often 
you know, we see things online of, of people just saying, you know, hey, I can 10x your business. I can do this. I can, you know, we can, you know, you're going to go from making 10,000 a month to 100,000 a month and, and just buy my course. And, and you know, then the, then Ty Lopez image pops up on screen and you say, you know, I have five Maseratis in my garage, all leased. You know, I just I just rented them for an enterprise <laughs> you know, just for the, for the video shoot type thing. And I, I'm not throwing Ty under the bus, but you know, just this whole idea. I'm going to throw him in front of one better. of his Lamborghinis. Put, put Ty in front of one of his Lamborghinis and drive over. I, I, and I've heard a lot of good things. I have friends that hang out with Ty and, and they go, he's a good guy. So not, no, nothing against Ty, but you know what? If you're thinking, oh, that's cool. Ty's got the life. I need the Lamborghini. I'm going to get, I'm going to get his course. Uh, you know, most of what we are seeking is a better version of ourselves. Mm. We're, we're looking for something because we're not quite happy with who we are. And and we're missing that it's not the Lamborghini. It's the deep work on ourselves. We're looking for the hack to the outcome instead of the, the process through the journey. That's what we need to be finding and seeking out. The importance of the mentor, the coach, the tie, the, the Grant Cardone, the, the Brendan Bouchard, the, you know, the, the Kevin, you know, whoever we're looking to is somebody that's going to be real in relationship with us, not just selling us something so that we can feel better with more consumption. It's somebody that's literally going to ask a question and encourage us on the right journey. It's not that outcome. Forget about the yeah. outcome. Yeah. It's literally what is the journey that we're on? It's not and it might be, but it's probably not a garage full of Lamborghinis and Maseratis. Sure. That's that that's you comparing yourself to the Kardashians and a Facebook reel. Yeah. Like you're looking at everybody's highlights and it's a bunch of ads. They're tr- they're trying to trigger your damn brain, your your reticular activator and your amygdala and like they're pinging you trying to get you stuck. It's like why CNN and Fox, every damn thing is red alert. I mean, Kevin, we have red alerts on ESPN now. Because our brain is attached to these breaking news and and (laughs) events. It's like, ah, I better pay attention to this. It's totally distracting. I have a no ding policy in my life. You put a ding on a phone around me, I'm going to throw you out because you're going to see me go nuts. (laughs) I don't like the distractions because it knocks us off course of our purpose. And these things are meant to do exactly that. So you want to change your life? Change your dings. Mm, that yeah i'm gonna get a t-shirt that says no more dings <laughs> right here and i'm gonna say this is damien lupo he said this i can't take credit for this <laughs> well let, let me ask you what you one thing you said that I, I wrote down too is you said most of what we are seeking is a better version of ourselves is that is that true or is that where we need to find ourselves because is that where as a coach you're leading people to or do you think they actually are aware of that I, I would say a better way to say that um, would be that we're li- we're looking for a truer version of ourselves. Truer meaning we're actually going where we are mm-hmm. already. We're going deeper. When when I asked the question about what was true, I was trying to figure out what was true about what was driving me. We we've often probably heard the the question, you know, what is your vision? What is your mission? What are your values? I was looking back and I went, my values were was more like there was nothing else. Yeah. And when I really dug into it and said, what do I care about? Let's just scratch. Let's blank slate my life. Let's start from nothing. What do I care about? And I realized I care about self-responsibility. That, mm. that is deeply important to me, that I am self-responsible, that I'm not blaming anybody for anything. But if, if fires burn down my house because some fire lightning hit some forest, man, I'm still not going to blame anybody else. I'm going to say, okay, you know, I'm going to take this experience and run with it. That became a driving force and then the impact on other people. So when I think about 10x growth, it's about 10x impact. It's not about 10x like 10 times as many cars. Sure. Yeah. I was really asking what's going to drive me and here's why you have to have values. Values are going to be what filter people and stuff 
processes, businesses, activities in your life, if you don't have values that are deeply personal that you say, this is my lens, you'll be all over the place. You'll be doing this and that. And you'll say yes to almost yeah. everything. You'll be freaking Jim Carrey. You mentioned Jim Carrey. Sure. You'll be Jim Carrey. Yes, man. Yes, 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 yes. yes. You, you got to be willing to say no most of the time. Warren Buffett said, and he's right, that that's the difference between success and super success. It's that super successful people say no to almost everything. Warren Buffett invests in almost nothing. When he says yes, he's all in. Yep. He says no to almost everything. We need to do the same thing with people, opportunities. People come to me and they go, I got this business. And I'm like, great, show me. I look at it and I'm like, cool, good luck with it. Not for me because I know what my values are. They gauge who I'm going to work with, who I'm going to have as a client, mm. who I'm going to talk to, who I'm going to be around. The these values will help you have a very simplified, very easy life experience where you'll know what your rules of the game are. If you don't have those, you're at the, you're at the mercy of everybody else hitting you with dings all the time. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> well, we, we want to enter the no, no ding zone right here to, to kind of close out our, our time together because your time is valuable. I appreciate you. You just, you know, spending that actually an extended period of time with us this morning. But so wrap us up today with uh, with kind of a – I've tried to, to add a section on the end of, of our conversations lately with almost like a micro course. If you could do a micro – here's a kind of a, like three points that I want to really drill, drill down and leave our audience with. And and you virtually can choose the choose the topic. I mean, if you were – is this a kind of a pre-coaching session or, or however you want to frame that? But – but just leave us with with you know two or three really salient points that are you know related to a specific topic that say you know if I if I want to leave you with something this is what we're in an elevator and I want to leave you with something that's really mindful you know really is going to be a game changer in your life in the next few days can you unpack that just a little bit yeah and and I'll do that by thinking about what I would do if I could go back when I started to myself mm, and give right. myself the advice from the wisdom that you get with years of experience like the the saddest thing is going to a, a graveyard and you you just see all this wisdom underneath the dirt and you're like oh and they're done uh Felix Dennis one of my favorite authors and had all this wisdom and and he's dead and I mean if you have a chance read Felix Dennis he so what I would suggest for everybody that the beginning is Pick somebody that you respect, that you listen to, that you'll actually act on. That person is called mentor. That mm. person is likely and should probably be either balder or grayer than <laughs> you are. In all likelihood, if you hire a 25-year-old coach, you're not getting anything except regurgitation from them. They don't have any experience. I mean, nothing against being 25. I was there and I thought I knew everything. But finding somebody with wisdom that can be present with you and and help you to make a choice of the environments you go into – and then encourage you and safeguard you from your fear of failure. If you are able to, do, if you find that person and you can leverage and lean on them, what's going to happen is you'll trust in making a decision and making a mistake, and you'll realize, wow, it didn't kill me. Nothing ate me. Yep. And then you'll do it again. I would tell myself, fail faster because that's how you're going to grow. I wouldn't be afraid of going and asking the pretty girl across the room out. I'd say, you know what? Ask all of them out. Because you can't, you're not going to be, they're not going to eat you. Like we think that these things are going to eat us. Like that is literally the outcome. And and so we're afraid. Having somebody say, go do it. It's why coaches can be so valuable because you don't know. And you're you're basically leveraging off of their belief and their trust in taking a step forward when we're afraid that our world's going to fall apart. Right. I would find that person and leverage off of them 
and then continue moving and don't let go. I got into the most trouble when my ego took over and I let go of the mentors and I thought mm-hmm. I was, you know, the, the biggest, smartest, invincible, bulletproof guy. My world came apart. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you have people that you respect that will tell you the truth when you're not willing to tell it to yourself. And, you know, no is not terminal. You know, it's your your analogy of going across the room and asking the, the pretty girl out. I mean, you know, uh, a no is just another step to it's kind of like failure. You, you're failing forward and you're growing from those experiences. So so really unpacking the mentor. I mean, they, it could just be a one step process. I mean, if, if mentorship is the key, if if finding somebody that's further down the path that you really respect and trust and and we'll follow then and and that's the way you want to wrap this up if we're in the elevator that that what a great way to to kind of package this you know this conversation we've had today and is there anything else that i haven't asked you about that you want to touch on I, i'm going to have your your book links in the in the show notes and and um but how can how can people find you and is there and anything else you want to you want to close us with today i people can find me at damianlupo.com you can you can dig in more. Here's one thing that I'll, I'll leave you with. Smoking hopium is what most people do for their strategy of their life. They hope and they hope and they smoke away and, and then they go, well, I'll see what happens. And hopium is not a strategy. It's a disaster. Doing the work is where it's at. Not hoping, doing work. The four letter word we talked about. Go do the work. That's where that's where the magic is. That's where the juice is. And and take the doobie out of your mouth, out of your life, let it go. Smoking hopium is not going to get you there. I promise. It's never going to get you there. But that's where a lot of people are stuck and they're waiting for it to happen to them. Well, it is going to happen all over you. You got to do it. I, I'm gray headed. I've lived a few years and I've never heard <laughs> stop smoking hopium. <laughs> I mean, what a, that is also a great t shirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> Great t-shirt idea. Damien, thank you so much for just taking your time today. It, it's been a, it's just a thoroughly enjoyable time. I mean, I, I could talk to you all day long and just keep asking questions and keep, you know, drawing these, this gold out of your mind. But I know you got things to do and, and I actually have a, have another engagement that's right after this interview. But uh, thank you for just really just inspiring us and, and encouraging our listeners and just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Damien, have a great day. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. It's been a pleasure.